I was the only one who could see the twitching faces. I had them all. I had them all have their eyes closed. You know. This is Ty Gibson again. You might remember him from the first episode. He's talking about an experiment he did on the Andrews University campus a couple months ago during an event called Against the Wall. And I said, just bring up a picture of Jesus in your imagination. And nobody, of course, knew where it was going. And everybody just had this serene look, meditation on their countenances as they thought about Jesus. And and then I said, now, now just, just as you're picturing Jesus, I'm going to say something and pay close attention to what happens inside of you. Are you ready? Their eyes are closed. Their faces are serene. I said, here it is. Jesus was a black man. Oh, my goodness. If you're wondering how much more protein crickets have than steak, just Google it. But if you're an Adventist and you're wondering if the Seventh-day Adventist Church still has racism, you've come to the right place. Today on Stuff Adventists You Should Know, is there racism in the church? So February was Black History Month, and among the many events and movements celebrating black culture around the country, There was one here in Berrien Springs, Michigan that drew attention to Adventism's need to reconcile itself with its members of color and reevaluate our church's mission in the context of this important issue. And while this event was really the reason why we decided to record this episode, we're not going to talk too much about the actual event, but more about the ideas presented there. And because people have differing ideas on this subject, Feel free to respectfully let me know what you think about the episode on its blog page at StuffAdventistShouldKnow.org or on our Twitter or Facebook page. Now my guests are going to introduce themselves and we'll get into the content in a minute. Well, my name is Michael Polite. I'm currently serving as as one of three chaplains at Andrews University in the Office of Campus Ministries. And so I'm a proud member of Adventist clergy, you know, I'm a part of the beast, as many say, Uh, I'm one (laughs) of the people on the inside and really just fighting to see us do some amazing things in the next generation of pastors to revamp some of the things we've just accepted blindly and never questioned. I think it's time for that. I'm Garrison Hayes. I am in my third and final year at the seminary here at Andrews. Uh, Originally from Atlanta, Georgia. When I came on campus, I was hired by Campus Ministries to be a student chaplain, which is where I was able to develop a relationship with Michael Polite. And through some of those experiences um, that Michael Nixon will kind of highlight, we were able to kind of build a relationship. And um, so yeah, that's kind of how all this kind of connected for me. Sure, well, I'm Michael Nixon. Um, I'm the VP for diversity and inclusion here at Andrews. Uh, just got started this past August, so still relatively new. Um, I'm originally from New York. I was born in upstate New York, Poughkeepsie, so got to represent that for sure. Went to law school and graduated in 2013. Um, went on to become a lawyer in New York City, for working for the Fair Housing Justice Center, um, focusing on housing discrimination cases and, and things of that nature. 
suing a lot of people. I'm trying not to sue people at Andrews, but you know, my, my bar license is still active. So if it gets there, it's a possibility. We might have to take it there if we have to. You know, um, I'm involved in a ministry called Lightbearers. Lightbearers is a publishing ministry. It is a media ministry. It is a discipleship ministry. Published literature in about 42 different languages. We run a discipleship school that's called Arise. And then it's a, a, a teaching, preaching media ministry. I also pastor the Storyline Seventh day Adventist Church in Eugene, Oregon. Michael Nixon, maybe you could tell us uh, what is against the wall? Just real quick against the wall. It doubles as a metaphor that number one communicates that we are against walls of racial separation, both inside and outside of the Adventist church. And secondly, we stand in solidarity with people who have been oppressed by those walls and pushed back up against those walls of racial division. And so um, in the early stages of thinking through it, um, I remember we kind of reached out to an inner circle of people and chat polite was on some video chats with us um, as we were just trying to think through what this could be. Uh, then I remember reaching out to Garrison via email and just getting some thoughts from him on uh, what he thought about it and if he'd be interested and willing to be a part of it. And they were both gracious in giving us feedback and, and wanting to be engaged with the movement. And um, at that time, I never thought I would end up here at Andrews, uh, where we now just got done with our first event, um, you know, in a public setting. So this is the first thing we've actually done outside of just that web space. Um, so that's a bit of the history and I guess where we are now. And now it's time for a history lesson on racial issues within Adventism by Michael Polite and Ty Gibson. Well, the beautiful thing about Seventh-day Adventism is that it's founded pretty much in the middle of the Civil War. And so Seventh-day Adventism is coming onto the scene of the American terrain at a time of great polarization around one topic, race. Adventism was born to the scene of human history, not to become an institution, not to become a denomination, not to become just another church among churches. The Seventh-day Adventist movement was prophetically foretold in Daniel and Revelation, and that movement was birthed to the scene of human history for revolution. Thousands are being killed uh, in the North and in the South. And I think looking back on it, hindsight being 2020, I, I believe what the Holy Spirit was trying to do was to establish a prophetic voice via a denominational presence that could help mediate the tensions that were going on in the country. Um, from that perspective, Adventism should be the clarion call for race reconciliation. Adventism was supposed to be a, as Polite just said, a counter-narrative, but also a counter-community. That exhibits and illustrates what this thing looks like. It, it was supposed to play out its narrative by demonstrating the uncommon fellowship of interracial love at precisely a time in history when the apostolic church was essentially to be reborn in modernity. Jesus initiated a movement that was essentially a movement that was setting in motion the kinds of concepts and principles that would break down the walls of racial separation that had defined history up to his point. 
Uh, sadly, our forefathers were not as forward thinking as our foremother, Auntie Ellen White, you know? And I mean, she storms on the scene with feisty vigor and she is trying to give this exact picture that I described, that the Lord would desire for his people, specifically within the denominational context of Adventism, he would love for those people to start exhibiting a counter narrative to this narrative of bigotry and discrimination uh, that was so prevalent, not only within the United States, but within the denominations that claim uh, Christendom. Adventism comes to the scene of human history and we've reduced our perception of the historical and eschatological mission of Adventism to, to, hey, we have a message to preach. We've missed the deeper reality that the message God has called us to preach is none other than the gospel itself and that interracial communion is embedded in the first, second, and third angels' messages. And, and we can preach entire evangelistic campaigns and never even mention the subject. We baptize people into our denomination into the perpetuation of the very problem that we were raised up to defy and counter and to give an alternative to. So uh, with that reverberating forward um, and the rejection of the prophetic voice of Ellen White on the topic of race and reconciliation, we find ourselves in the 1930s now uh, with a conundrum. The conundrum is as black consciousness is beginning to increase in the north, it is now having a trickle down effect into the south. Uh, specifically, this germinates from what we know now as the Harlem Renaissance. It is this renaissance of black thought and thinking to where we are no longer pandering after white institutional acceptance. But we're now turning our attention to focus on our own communities and building healthy communities with healthy families, etc. And this thought process um, did not go unseen by Adventist leaders. And so now we have at this time black Adventist leaders uh, assessing the system saying we are no longer willing to see these disparities carry, uh, whether that be being forced to go through the back door of the General Conference building, which my grandfather, who was a treasurer in the South Central Conference for many years, uh, was forced to do when he visited the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. So we have this history now that is definitely no longer a counter-narrative, but it's falling in line with uh, I would say the climate of the day and we have black clergy who are no longer willing to take that. And so they actually lobby to create their own Seventh-day Adventist union only for uh, blacks, um, not only to secure upward mobility, but also to be more uh, in control of how resources are distributed. This was a major issue and disparity. The resource distribution was unfair. And also the um, upward mobility and the opening of positions were being withheld from black clergymen at the time. And so they say, we're going to start our own thing. Of course, the general conference uh, starts biting their nails, saying, oh, no, we don't want that to happen. Why? Because at that time, the black members were actually giving a major lion's share of North American division tithe. And they can't lose that. 
Yeah, they can't lose that. So they say, okay, uh, we need to reject this. Well, that that idea starts gaining steam within the black community. And it's about to push through to where they're just going to start their own thing. Uh, the GC, for fear of that happening, decides, mm, let's compromise here. We will not allow them to establish their own unions, but we will allow them to establish their own conferences. And so at that time, we have what is called the birth of the regional conference uh, led um, by W.W. Fordham. Uh, this happens in the 1940s. And so that is really building the context it, heading into the civil rights movement of the 50s. Um, we do not see Adventism ever returning back to its roots of being a counter narrative to the national conversation. Instead, it acquiesces and it just ends up repeating and perpetuating the same systemic ills uh, that it was birthed to defeat. So as Ty and Michael were explaining the difficult history of Adventism and race, I couldn't help but think how different it is from the Adventism that I've always known. The Adventism in me that I'm familiar with wanted to say, okay, yeah, but the gospel is about Jesus saving us from our sins by his death, resurrection, and intercession in the heavenly sanctuary. That's why our church exists. Not to preach social justice and racial equality, but my Adventism is a lot different than my guests and a lot of past black Adventists. And I think it's different because of my skin color. Because I'm white, this is definitely not a conversation I'm used to having because I'm not directly or even indirectly affected by it. I think that's why, particularly in the Adventist context, the discussion around what reconciliation looks like is such a tough one to have because our movement was raised up for a particular purpose, which we truly have never fulfilled. Where we're basically trying to call ourselves back to that prophetic vision, you know, that's trying to be communicated by, you know, Ellen White and maybe a few others and, and by many black ministers. I think back to um, uh, the gentleman, C.M. Kenny. He was the first ordained black minister in the Adventist church. He was um, ordained at a Southern uh, conference camp meeting. Uh, I think it was like in 1888 or 1889. And he delves into this conversation with a gentleman by the name of Robert M. Kilgore. He was a leader of some of the um, Southern Conference work at the time. And Kenny said to him very clearly that I fear that if we continue to be segregated on the basis of race, we as a church will nullify the gospel saving power of the three angels message. He said that in 1888. So there have been voices throughout our history that have been crying out and saying, if we don't get this right, and you know, we talk about having the truth a lot. You know, we 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 preach uh, to Ty's point, we preach these evangelistic series where we're presenting people this truth. But if we're not presenting them this, we're not preaching the truth. We're presenting them a lie. And so what against the wall is trying to do is is to get people to come to the table. And really just take that in and, you know, be shocked by that, you know, process it. I know it'll be tough for some people to hear, but once we kind of get through those emotions, the truth is still the truth. The last thing I'll probably say on this is that, you know, for too long in our Adventist context, we've created a comfortable space for racism. 
You can float through a lot of our churches for your entire life and never have some of these racist, bigoted ideas ever challenged from the pulpit, in a meeting, in a, in a prayer meeting, in a Bible study. You just float through your whole life assuming that, oh, I'm keeping the right day. That means I have the truth. I'm eating the right diet. So I'm probably going to heaven. And we've failed those people because we have not given them the truth. And so we really need to wrestle with the true implications of what we're doing as a global church and the way we're perpetuating some of these negative ideals, which, as has been said, we were called as a movement to be not just a counter narrative to, but a counter community to a model. We've not been that. And we have an opportunity now to try and recapture that vision, but it's going to take some real boldness. It's going to take some authenticity and we got to start not just telling the truth to other people, but the truth to each other. Ty, as a white guy, you've been preaching about racial reconciliation to your audiences, and maybe it's a new concept to a lot of people. How are people reacting to what you have been saying? Somebody said to me recently, um, hey, Ty, just hey, just stick with the message. Stick stick with the gospel. Um, why don't 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 get into these political issues? Just preach the gospel. Uh, that's that's how ill-defined we have been on what the gospel is. To that individual, I said, listen, racial reconciliation, racial justice is not. It's not peripheral to the gospel. It is the gospel. Because think about this for a minute. I don't know if you guys have have, um, wrestled with these connections, but another another individual said to me, um, hey, we just need to preach the third angel's message. And And I said, this is deeply embedded within the 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 theological uh, underpinnings of the third angel's message. They said, no, no, the third angel's message, you know, what the, 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 the Pope is going to use his power to make a Sunday law. We need to warn everybody about the coming Sunday law, that the Pope is going to, I said, listen, the Sunday law issue that you're referring to and the activities of the Pope, if you peel back the layers of that thing, what it boils down to is two systems. And the two systems are the system of the gospel, which is the system of non-coercive love, freedom, liberty in Christ for all, versus coercion and hatred and discrimination in the name of God. So, So if we're not careful before we know it, Adventism could become a part of the beast system and not even know it and think we're preaching the third angel's message because we're warning people about the Pope and Sunday laws, but we're operating organizationally and structurally and ideologically with with patterns of thought and relationship that are inherently contrary to liberty, inherently contrary to freedom, inherently contrary to non-coercive love. Wherever there are elements of coercion, even in the form of emotional coercion and theological coercion, well, the beast is breathing his fire right there 
and the beast doesn't have denominational lines. So, so this is this is vital to the gospel. It's not peripheral to the gospel. You know, I was raised being told that um, we are the remnant, we're peculiar people. You know, but just looking at our church's history, it becomes very clear that we have made moves that are almost lockstep with society. I mean, American history, Western history, and our history are connected in ways that that are embarrassing to be honest. And I think as we're thinking about moving forward, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people um, who I'm engaging in conversation with challenging the idea that there needs to be racial reconciliation, that that's a paramount, you know, that that's something that we should be going after. And many of them are connecting it to like, oh, this is just the trend of the times, right? Like we're just following the times. But like I said, like looking at our history, you see that even from our inception, this is something that is really a part of our our theological identity. And it's something that's extremely necessary for us to even move into where we've always imagined ourselves going. As I was listening this weekend to some of the to, to Ty speaking on Friday night. And I'm thinking about how Jesus, something that he said that I thought was profound, that Jesus was persecuted because of his ideas, right? Like, like yes, he's dying for our sins and all of that, but he's persecuted because of the ideas of a, of a society and the way that he's hoping to, to tear down political structures. And I'm looking at that in comparison to our eschatology, right? These ideas that we believe are going to, like the things that we believe are going to come to, to fruition later on. I mean, we aren't currently relevant enough to society to be persecuted for our ideas. Like we're anticipating this persecution that is going to come from the Pope or from the government in some way. But what what role do we play that challenges the authority and the systems that are currently in place? And as I look at some of the contemporary prophets, for instance, Martin Luther King Jr., he finds himself persecuted and ultimately assassinated because he's challenging this very structure. And I think that's connected. I think that's very connected. So for people who have been in touch with the news and what's been going on around the country in the last few years, it's been hard to miss what we're talking about right now. But for a lot of Adventists, well-meaning white Adventists, these ideas and stories are not reaching them and they feel very threatened by them. They're feeling like they're being told they're first in line and they need to give up their place. How do you get through to someone when they feel for a fact they're not privileged by their skin color? I think one of the greatest barriers to racial reconciliation is hard for us as humans to get to a place of humility to acknowledge that, man, I am advantaged in some way. And, and just the thought of talking about the idea of a systemic advantage of some is difficult for people to hear and to understand and reconcile without taking it extremely personally. Like, I can acknowledge that as a man, I am benefited by misogyny, right? I don't necessarily see myself as a misogynist, no, right? But when I understand that in the larger context of this world, women have been oppressed and continually, and are continually oppressed, and the structures, the way that our society is set up, means that I'm kind of standing on the shoulders of oppression. I am now behooved 
to move in opposition to that oppression. I mean, that's really the wall, right? And as we're thinking about this as in a racial conversation, the wall and, and, and those, those, those advantages, even if I don't feel that I am actively um, building walls, this gospel message calls me to actively tear down walls. If we look at the persecution of prophets, you know, truth tellers is the word we've been using in our conversation so far. It always comes as a consequence of attempting to shift or revolutionize a power structure, right? So the issue with that is that in any power structure, someone's benefiting greatly. And so when you see Christ come on the scene, he starts challenging those who are benefiting from things as they are. Now, what that also calls for is this whole thing of almost killing oneself. You know, I am crucified with Christ. So that is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. There's a, there's a self death that must take place whenever any political structure is challenged. And one has to look at losing their advantage. Uh, as I, as I look at that and compare this idea of loss of advantage to Christ's ministry and the ministry of the prophets, I'm very much behooved to look in the mirror every morning and ask myself, am I an accomplice to sustaining a structure that gives me an advantage? And what will I do to maintain this advantage? And I don't think people can question uh, or I don't think people can be so confident at knowing what you will do, like what what that ego will do just to hang on to an advantage. I mean, it's a powerful force that rests within each of us. And Christ is continually calling us to let go of those advantages. Man, I followed all your commandments. What else you want me to do? Sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Go ahead and give up that advantage that you've worked so hard for. And that young man walked away sad. He's very sad. Um, and so I, I definitely see Adventism as having a crisis of advantage. It has not found the courage to let go of these structures that advantage some and exploit others. This episode was written, recorded, and edited by me, Nick Hosted. Music was made by Drake, Stafford, DeLay, Fields, Ohio, Oscar Schuster, Podington Bear, Jazar, and Ketza. And a special thanks to Randy Ban over there in Portland, Oregon, who from now on will call the executive producer of Stuff Adventist Should Know. Thanks for all your help, man. And thank you all for listening to Stuff Adventist Should Know. I hope you learned something. I googled this. I, I asked Google, "What is what does Jesus look like? What is 
what is the most popular image of Jesus in the world? And, and I showed that picture. Um, and everybody, everybody knows this picture. I mean, you can Google it yourself. And basically, Jesus looks like a Swedish hippie 